Are you or someone you love struggling with mental health issues like anxiety, depression, self-harm, raging ups and downs, or thoughts of suicide? Are these behaviors affecting all aspects of your life, including the relationships with those you love the most? Are you feeling hopeless and desperate for long-lasting peace and relief from your irrational behavior, but feel like the therapies you've tried have just become a short-term band-aid? I have. I've been there, and I know how you're feeling. From relationship pain and personal shame, I've been through it all. And because I've been there, I also know how difficult it can be to climb the mental wellness mountain on your own. That's why I started White Rock Mental Fitness. At White Rock Mental Fitness, you'll get personal training from someone who knows, from personal experience, how to deal with your mental health challenges. How? Just like a personal trainer helps you lose physical weight and get your body in shape, I help my clients lose mental weight and get their minds in shape, and I teach you what you need to know to stay in shape. Unlike expensive coaches and therapists, we offer affordable, customized, personal mental fitness training to guide you through the process of overcoming your specific mental health struggles. If you're ready to get happy and stay happy, visit whiterockmentalfitness.com where we help you go from barely hanging on to superhero strong. That's whiterockmentalfitness.com. Hey there, everybody, from beautiful Cardston, Alberta, Canada. My name is Dave Miller, and welcome back to the Mentally Ill Mentor podcast. Of course, you know, this is the podcast where we discuss the secrets of how you or someone you love can begin winning the battle with anxiety, depression, thoughts of suicide, and all things related to mental health. And can I tell you, after over 20 years of battling this stuff myself, anxiety, depression, thoughts of suicide, and lots more, I am now on an all-out mission to guide you and as many other people as I can in creating a life of lasting hope, happiness, and purpose. In fact, I'm going to look up right now our mission. This is up on the wall right above my computer. Our mission. We change lives by bringing lasting hope, happiness, and purpose to individuals, marriages, and families. So if you fall into one of those categories, which don't we all, I hope that uh, you enjoy our conversation today. Thank you so much for being here today with me again. I just so much appreciate and love speaking to you. And as I talk about, it's kind of, I kind of envision this as a little chat just between you and I in a coffee shop. We're talking about mental health and I'm able to share some things that can help you and I hope that you're able to benefit from them. And um, in our interviews, definitely that I do with people, man, oh man, do I ever learn a lot of valuable advice. But I also learn things along the way as I go and I prepare for these podcasts as well. And today I want to share a story with you and then talk a little bit more about something that has been a tough thing for me in my life. But uh, I need to talk about it because um, if you're someone that has struggled with mental health, either like I have, the anxiety, depression, thoughts of suicide, uh, etc., I just think you need to hear this. Or if you know somebody that has, 
So true story. Years ago, um, the first sign that I um, had, the first sign that kind of appeared, uh, signs and symptoms of mental health problems, was that I was starting to get pretty stressed. Uh, Amy was pregnant with our first daughter, our third child. I believe Thomas was uh, four years old at the time. Harrison was about two. She's like seven and a half months pregnant. Um, I'm working, feeling stressed, knowing this new baby is coming along, not making a ton of money. And we live in this uh, pretty small house that didn't really fit our family that well and not the nicest neighborhood. And work wasn't going that well. And I'm, so I'm feeling stressed and whatever. Kind of gets to the point where, unbeknownst to Amy and I, I start to go high, not using any illicit drugs, but my mind starts to go into a hypomanic state. I'm not getting it into what hypomania is right now, but it's sort of the brain's way. This is Dave Miller talking here, not a medical doctor, but as someone who's experienced uh, this hypomanic and then manic state, it's sort of the brain's way of dealing with stress. And as Thomas used to say when he was young, my brain went on the wrong wire. So I'm feeling stressed and all of a sudden it's, I became very, very irritable and I started believing that Amy didn't love me, that she didn't, you know, maybe wanted to divorce me or maybe I wanted to divorce her, um, all these kind of things. And actually up to that point, we'd had a really, really good relationship. And now, of course, we've been married uh, over 25 years and have seven children and they're all wonderful. We love them to death. And um, but at this time, this is how I was feeling. So at one point in time, I hopped into our little rusty 1986 Honda Accord and I took off. And I don't recall really knowing where I was going. But what I do recall is I had stayed up uh, late quite a few nights in a row and got up very early um, I think I was very excited about some, uh, maybe like a side project I was doing from work that I thought was going to make us multimillionaires, like maybe in the next couple of weeks or something like that. Like just some pretty unrealistic, unfocused thoughts. And like I say, I was pretty irritable as well. So I took off, I fired up the rusty 1986 Honda Accord one night. I think it was around nine o'clock at night. We lived in Red Deer, Alberta, Canada, and I left. And I cried a lot. I was very emotional. Of course, I didn't do any meditation at that time. And my emotions were uh, not in check. And my mental health was out of control. I took off. And hmm, how detailed should I go here? Well, we don't have seven hours. So I'll just summarize. I ended up in Nevada. And um, just across the state line, uh, one of the casinos over there in Wendover, Nevada, it's called the State Line Casino. Um, I hadn't ever really spent much time in a casino because of my religious faith. I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and I just don't really believe in gambling or being in that kind of an environment. Um, not to say that those that do that, I feel, or I'm trying to let you know that I'm not wanting to place judgment on anybody that gambles. But I'm just saying that for me, that went against my beliefs. So uh, normally that went against my beliefs, but at this point in time, it did not go against my beliefs. And um, I uh, ended up spending some time in Wendover, I think three or four nights. And long story short, I eventually realized that I was not doing mentally well. 
and I was desperate for help. I remember thinking that there was a woman in one of the casinos. She was obviously addicted to gambling. And I befriended her, is a nice way to put it. And I let her know that I was aware of her disguise. Of course, now I look back and she's like, aware of my disguise, okay. And I really honestly, truly thought that she was Jessica Simpson. You know, like the one that was married to Nick Lachey, that was the you know, supermodel, singer, all that type of thing, quite active on Instagram these days. And I just love her. Man, I emailed her a lot of times too to let her know, I want to marry you or meet up with you or something or propose to you. And maybe we can have a family together. <laughs> Anyways, we're talking bizarre stuff here. And can I tell you, like non-drug induced, non-alcohol induced, that's another part of our religion that I don't believe in becoming involved in. Again, I'm not wanting to place judgment on anybody that does. But for me, um, I wasn't involved with any of that. And yet the reaction that my brain had and my perception was kind of similar to as if I was maybe high or drunk or whatever it was. So long story short, my wonderful dad, my late father now, passed away about five years ago. Uh, he's a lawyer. Uh, took time from his very busy legal practice, flew down, and long story short, he was able to get me home, and a couple of buddies of mine met up with me as well. And uh, after, I think, elbowing one of them in the face and running away and getting hospitalized, they've forgiven me, by the way. That was many years ago. Um, long story short, I was hospitalized in Montana came up into Canada, was hospitalized in Lethbridge, Alberta, Canada, and then went to a wonderful mental hospital uh, called Alberta Hospital Panoka. Anybody that's local here knows Panoka. It's kind of got a huge negative stigma. You know, like kids will say, um, our son's just waving to us. Joe's waving to me from the window, and I'm like, okay, I'm recording my podcast. Anyways, Huge negative stigma. Kids will say, oh, you're crazy. You need to go to Pinoca. So that's just kind of the stigma that exists um, close to home here when it comes to mental health challenges. So I'm in Pinoca. I'm very well, very well aware of the stigma associated with that hospital, but I'm a patient there now. This is like super long story short, right? This took about a month before I got there from the time that I left um, Amy. <sighs> So I get on medication. At first, I spit it out. So I, I didn't come down from this manic high, but then somehow they caught me. I, I write this all in my book. Uh, it's a self-help book, um, 280 power-packed pages of juicy information, similar to what I'm telling you right now. It's my true story, 20 years ago, maybe 23 now. And bottom line, I got better. And I remember the day so clearly that Amy came for her visit. She used to come every few days. And this time she was taking me home. I might start to get emotional here. I remember that I think at that time our car was broken down. She borrowed my parents' car. And I'm so grateful to them that they were willing to let her do that. They really helped us out a lot in that time. And so did Amy's parents. I would have been maybe 22 years old, 24. Lost my job, of course. Um, 
And now I was depressed. I was no longer manic. I was down to earth. My perception was pretty accurate. But I realized what I had done. I left Amy. I left our children. If I could have gotten a hold of Jessica Simpson and she would have left Nick and married me, I probably would have done it in that state. Although, of course, she would have very quickly realized what was going on and that I was not in my right mind. I'd still like to meet her. I think she's pretty cool. She's got a lot of guts. Um, you know, has had this battle with weight and everything and is quite open about it and posting non-makeup pictures on Instagram that aren't perfect. And yeah, she's got a lot of guts. I really think a lot of her. But um, to get back to what I was saying, I will never forget hopping in that white Buick Century, I think, 1998 model and driving home. And I just thought, you know what? I can't believe I've done this to my wife. I love her to death. I would probably die if I didn't have her anymore. I don't know what to do. I need her to take care of me. I don't feel like I can work. I'm full of anxiety. I'm deeply depressed. I'm just thinking about suicide all day long, every day. How can she ever forgive me? And now I know. I've been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. My life is over. That's it. I'm, I cannot exist anymore. I'm one of them is kind of how I saw it. <sighs> so it was very difficult for me to overcome that. I found that the stigma that is talked about that I felt against myself was probably a hundred times more than anybody else recognized. But I also think other people did have a bit of a, you know, saw some stigma there, were involved in stigma, kind of saw me in a certain way because of the uh, weird behaviors that I had engaged in and because I had this diagnosis now, bipolar disorder. Now, over the next 20 years, I was hospitalized, I don't know how many other times, maybe three or four. Uh, St. Louis, Missouri was one of them. Um, you know, uh, my memory's not real clear on a lot of them because it's kind of like you're dreaming while you're awake. And so anyways, so I did go through some other manic episodes. However, the vast majority, 98.5% of my struggle has been with the anxiety, depression, thoughts of suicide, kind of just feeling like, am I ever going to get over this? Can I ever hold a job? Can I ever be a normal guy? So if you know how that feels and you feel like people are maybe looking at you a certain way or whatever, can I tell you, I know how that feels. Or if you are feeling that yourself, it's nasty. Let me say that right into the microphone. It's nasty. Okay, so I want to give you some hope here. I've gotten into meditation. I've done a, learned a lot of other things over the last 20 years. Meditation has kind of been the catalyst to an incredible recovery from very deep, difficult mental health challenges. But a huge amount of it has come down to me accepting that I have had a problem and releasing that shame and that stigma, at this, the shame that often accompanies the stigma. So let me just read to you an article that I found on the Mayo Clinic 
website. This is mayoclinic.org. And the article is called Mental Health Overcoming the Stigma of Mental Illness. False beliefs about mental illness can cause significant problems. Learn what you can do about stigma. This is by the Mayo Clinic staff. Okay, so here they give a, first they give a uh, description of it. Stigma is when someone views you in a negative way because you have a distinguishing characteristic or personal trait that's thought to be or actually is a disadvantage, a negative stereotype. Unfortunately, negative attitudes and beliefs towards people who have a mental health condition are common. I'm glad they said that because it's true. We all know it. Stigma can lead to discrimination. Discrimination may be obvious and direct, such as someone making a negative remark about your mental illness or your treatment, or it may be unintentional or subtle, such as someone avoiding you because the person assumes you could be unstable, violent, or dangerous due to your mental illness. Been there, done that. I really have felt this from other people, and to be quite open about it, there are people that I know that have had mental health struggles, and I'm a little careful around them sometimes. You may even judge yourself. Okay, this was me in a huge way. Let's continue. Mayoclinic.org and article on stigma. Some of the harmful effects of stigma can include reluctance to seek or help to seek help or treatment. Amen, that was me. Lack of understanding by family, friends, co-workers, or others. That was even Amy. My wife of over 25 years loves me to death. She doesn't get it. She doesn't struggle mentally. Even though she wishes, wishes, not that she struggled mentally, but that she could understand how I felt. And so that just added to my feelings of being desperately alone and hopeless, which is one of the main reasons I wanted to start this podcast so that you can know or someone you love can know They are not alone. Next point, fewer opportunities for work, school, or social activities, or trouble finding housing. Next one, bullying, physical violence, or harassment. Next one, health insurance that does not adequately cover your mental illness treatment. Next one, the belief that you'll never succeed at certain challenges or that you cannot improve your situation. Been there, folks. Steps to cope with stigma. Here are some ways. Get treatment. Amen. You may be reluctant to admit that you need treatment because you know what? If you need treatment, then what does it say about you? You're a mental case, right? You know what? It means that you have a mental health challenge and you're smart enough to go get help is the way that I see it. So here's what they say. Don't let the fear of being labeled with a mental illness prevent you from seeking help. I would just say, I agree. And know that it's a sign of strength to go get help, not a sign of weakness. Treatment can provide relief by identifying what's wrong and reducing symptoms that interfere interfere with your work and personal life. Um, I got to tell you, I resisted medication for so long. And then I realized hmm, this can help me have a normal life. So get into that. Don't let stigma create self-doubt and shame. Stigma just doesn't doesn't just come from others. You may mistakenly believe that your condition is a sign of personal weakness or that you should be able to control it without help. Seek counseling, educate yourself, and you can it, that can help you gain self-esteem and to overcome destructive self-judgment. 
Just going to skip over this quickly. Don't isolate yourself. If you have a mental illness, you may be reluctant to tell anybody about it, but your family, friends, clergy, or members of your community can offer support if they know about it. Reach out to people for the compassion and support and understanding you need. Don't equate yourself with mental illness. Uh, It's just saying, don't say I'm bipolar. I have bipolar disorder. Don't say I'm a schizophrenic. Say I have schizophrenia. Join a support group, get help at school, and speak out against stigma, which is one of the main reasons I am doing this podcast. Consider expressing your opinions at events, in letters to the editor, or on the internet. It can help instill courage in others facing similar challenges and educate the public about mental illness. Lastly, others' judgments almost always stem from a lack of understanding rather than information based on facts. Learning to accept your condition and recognize what you need to do to treat it, seeking support and helping other educate others can make a big difference. And I want to qualify that when you accept your condition, I want you to know that to me, that means you need to accept that, let's say if you had a problem with being overweight, well, you can get skinny, but even when you're skinny, you need to know that that's kind of the way your body style is. And if you start eating pop and potato chips, we call it pop in Canada instead of soda, and potato chips and just, you know, pizza all day long. Yeah, you're going to go back to the weight that you were before. But, and so it's the same thing with mental weight. You got to start doing things like meditation, like there's a whole bunch of things that we can talk about to reduce your stress level so that you can become mentally fit, improve your level of mental fitness, and you will be able to um, function so much better. But Although you've got the hope and everything, you've got to realize your mind style, like a body style, is one that is given to gaining mental weight. So you just got to be careful. Anyways, that's all the time we have got for now. Thank you so much for joining me. If you're feeling that stigma, know that you are not alone. I know how you feel. Or if someone you love is feeling that, get the help that you need and don't leave it until it's too late because sometimes people let their mental health problems get out of you know, kind of get out of control a bit and you don't want to do that. So go get the help you need and, uh, and just keep listening to this podcast. This will help you as well. Thank you so much for being here today with me. I so much love chatting with you. And if you're feeling kind of hopeless and down, hang in there, take it from someone who knows you can do this. Okay. Love you guys. Bye.